Have you ever heard the phrase, the devil made me do it? Do you believe that phrase? Actually, it can be true. Actually, it very well can be true. The devil can make you do things. But like we said a couple weeks ago, when we listen to the devil and we step over that line, we believe the lie Satan has told us, don't we? The lie that God says it's okay. God says you deserve it. God says, don't worry about it. Everybody else is doing it. So we believe the lie and we go ahead and step over the sin so we can't say the devil made me do it, you know. And it's true. You know, it's very, very true. And that's what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. And to, this morning, I want to look at Satan's knocking. He's the deceiver. And I want to tell you right here, right now, this is probably one of the most personal ones I can talk about, uh, about our lives, about my life, what's going on in our lives today and in the world today. You see, what we see with our eyes is not all that there really is. Uh, so many times we see people out and about, we go about our lives and we see them, they have a smile on their face and they're walking through life, everything's grand, but what's really behind those eyes when we see their hearts and what's going on? You see, there's a physical world and there's a spiritual world, and we've looked at both in the last couple of weeks, and the Apostle Paul says that our battle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. Remember when he said that? But he says we're in a spiritual battle. That we're fighting every day against the forces of darkness. I think what Paul wants us to understand, what I I want us to understand, is that we have a very real enemy in the world today. We have a very real enemy in our churches today. And this enemy is called Satan. We call him Lucifer, the prince of darkness, the evil one, the father of lies, the destroyer, the accuser. Many other names go with it. But his mission... In this world is to come against the people of God, to come against us, to get us to believe his lies that God says it's okay to do this. Nobody's going to know. It's okay to want this. Nobody else cares or to do this and that. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, stay alert. In other words, always be on guard. In other words, get ready because the battle is not just coming, the battle is here. And we got to be ready. We have to be alert for what's happening. He says, watch out for our great enemy, the devil. Now, when you think of the word watch out, you kind of look at it like, you know, I'm going to watch and he's off at a distance. As long as I keep him at a distance, we're all good. But understand, Satan is closer than at a distance. I mean, if we just keep Satan at arm's length, It's too close because it's not much to let him on in. He goes on to say, because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when you think about that, all Peter is saying is all Satan wants to do is he's prowling around. He's kind of looking. So we have to be on guard. He's looking for someone to devour. I also want to point out this morning for you cat fans who have cats in your life that God uses Somebody, something from the cat line as evil. You know, cats are evil, folks. I don't care what you say. It's in right here. (laughs) First Peter 5.8, a devouring lion from the cat family. Just saying. But according to Jesus, Satan came on a mission. 
I mean, he knows what he wants, and he's pinpointed. He's got people to help him. And Jesus came to bring life and more abundantly, but Satan comes to destroy those things. He also said the evil one. He says Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So what Satan wants to do is steal our joy, kill our peace, and destroy our, our contentment in life. That what we have is okay. He will attack every single day. We need to understand that. He will attack every day personally, socially. He'll attack our friendships. He'll attack our physical bodies. He'll attack our families and our marriages. And he will attack our spiritual lives as well. He always is telling us there's something better on the horizon. There's always something better for us. Understand he's on attack And he's trying to rob people, trying to rob us of the blessings of God. And he wants, God wants to bring those good things into our life. Week number one, we looked at the deceiver. Remember? Who was Satan? He's the deceiver who attacks our mind with lies. We talked about Adam and Eve. We talked about all those things, about all that they had, but she wanted, they wanted this one thing. Then we looked at the accuser. That he is the accuser who targets our heart with accusation. And this week is very important. And maybe even a little more difficult or challenging to hear, but he is the destroyer who attacks or targets our life and our will with pride. So we need to hear this. You see, I used to think and I used to believe that the devil would attack you when you're down, when you're weak, when things weren't going well, when we were vulnerable, and he will. He does do those things. I used to think when people you know, had big things in their life, big horrible things happen was when they were the most vulnerable to Satan. And that's when you hear a lot of people say, well, it was during that time of my life that I did this or did that. And so I want you to understand that some of you right now, some of us, you may be in a better season of life and you think, you know, things are good. I mean, things aren't all bad. So I don't have to worry too much about Satan because he's not really picking on me right now. He's not really tempting me in a lot of ways. That may be the time where we're the most vulnerable because you're least aware and that's when you're the most acceptable to listening to his lies. When you're least alert, realizing that your enemy may be attacking, then he often does come in during that time and he slowly does it so we don't truly understand. Not only will he kick you when you're down, so understand this, not only Satan kicks us when we're down, but he also attacks us when things are going wrong well let me ask you this or explain it this way things are going pretty well right i mean let's think about let's be honest things are going well so let's look at just simply us we have a beautiful church it's almost paid for so we're happy about that you know we have things going on we can't really say satan is really doing a lot to us right now We get to worship every Sunday. We come in, the lights are on, it's either warm or it's cool. For some of you, it doesn't make any difference. If it's either going to be too hot, it's going to be too cold, and you're going to be complaining like Mary just said, you know, because, oh, it's too hot. And I did it this morning. I said, came in, I said, man, it's warm. Paul says, man, it feels good in here. Okay, you know. But we're happy. And you look around and you kind of say, you know, I kind of like the people sitting around me right now. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty cool. It's cool. You know, I like them. For the most part, you know, and if you're really truthfully honest, you're catered to. 
I mean, you come in in the morning, there's coffee made, there's hot water ready for hot tea, and some Sundays we even have brownies and cookies after church, and all those things. So we're kind of catered to. And you're going to sit there and say, you know, Kurt does a pretty good job. His sermons aren't usually too long. You know, he usually does a pretty decent job with that. Kurt doesn't step on my toes too often or too hard. So Satan really isn't picking on us too much, right? Let me ask you this. We look at all that we have. Then we look at what Scripture says in the last part of Matthew, where he says, go into all the world making disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them, all those things. Does he ever once say, go into all the world and build new buildings and do all these things? Make sure the coffee's hot. Make sure it's air-conditioned and heated. Does he say all that? No. Those are perks. Those are, those are fine. He wants to have life and have it abundant. That's great. No, no problem. But what happens when we don't do what he has called us to do? There's a story in the Old Testament that many of you are not really familiar with. I wasn't really either until I studied it. And it's just about a time when Satan posed a very strategic uh, attack on David in the Old Testament. And I want you to understand, he didn't attack David when he was discouraged, when he was down. And it's just quite the opposite. You see, instead, he attacked at the height of David's power, when David was probably the most popular. And if you don't know the rise of David's story, I mean, here's David, just an ordinary shepherd boy, tending the flock, the family flock. He's going about his business as a kid, and Whenever his people were even in battle in his life against the enemy, and there's one point where he takes food and supplies to his brothers who are fighting this other army, and he comes up on them, and they're afraid of Goliath, this giant, and David's over here going, you know, I'm just a kid, you know, but, you know, I'll take him on. No big deal. He goes, why are you guys scared? You've got God on your side. And so David does what he does. He says, I'll take this guy on. And this little kid takes down Goliath. And suddenly, overnight, David is kind of thrust into this social media bomb spotlight, if you will. Becomes popular overnight because he takes down this giant. So you ask, who is this guy? Who is this David? Where did he come from? And then you read in the scripture, he's anointed king of Israel. And he rises to the height of power. He is a hero by, no, by all means. But understand this, when David goes out with his mighty men, they're always coming home victorious. Man, he never is failing. So understand what's going on. He's so popular. And imagine, he's so popular that the women are writing songs about David. He would go out and they would gather in the streets and these women would sing the songs of David. Now, I want you to understand this morning, my wife has yet to write a song about my power, strength, and glory, okay? She has yet to do it. I think it's there. I think it's ready to be produced, but, you know, I'm just not saying that. But I kind of feel like, you know, who knows, maybe after I've done preaching today and I go to the waters and I do my little thing there and I'm going to do some other things this afternoon, that maybe when I get home and I drive home in my Ford Escape and I pull in, she'll be standing at the door singing these praises, It's not going to happen. But a guy can dream, can he? You know. So they're singing to David. David, this little shepherd guy, this giant slater, is at the height of his game, and he stumbles. 
He's not discouraged, man. He's got it all. People are singing praises to him. Every time he goes out into the town, people are doing these things for him. But he stumbles. But it was not when he was weak or vulnerable. Understand this in your outline. David stumbles because of his pride. We need to understand this. It's because of our pride. Have you ever stumbled over your own two feet? Have you ever stumbled walking on perfectly level ground? And you wonder, what happened? You know, I've done it. You know, I put my pants on in the morning and I stumble. You know, I'm trying to figure out, when did this start to happen? You know, but it's kind of like this. Let me ask you this morning. What was David's greatest sin in life? What would you say his greatest sin was? Was his sin with Bathsheba? Committing adultery? Maybe. That's what he's known for. But maybe you think a little further, maybe it was when he committed murder. When he killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. That might have been a bigger sin. So not only did he commit adultery, but he had her husband sent to the front lines. Perhaps murder was that bigger sin. And I would argue if we take a step further back, we could actually find perhaps the root sin that led to adultery that eventually led to murder. In fact, probably his biggest struggle, along with so many of us, probably including me, is the battle of the root sin of pride. Of pride. Now, I think, let me explain it. So if you know David's story, because of David's adultery, four people died. Remember the story? His baby died. Amon died. Absalom died. And he had Uriah killed. Four people died because of his pride, because of his sin. But because of David's sin of pride, I want to look at a story. Because of his sin of pride, there was actually 70,000 people who were actually killed because of this filthy, horrendous sin called pride. And that's where our enemy often attacks us. You see, he attacks us not because we're weak, but because we're proud. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, tells us exactly what Satan did. This is exactly how he attacked. And folks, we need to hear this. I truly believe we need to hear this. It says this, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Did you catch that? Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So what did he do? Satan came to David when he was confident, when he was strong, when he was victorious. And he incited David to take a census of Israel. Now remember, David's on the top of his game. He's the best of the best right now. His favorite song on Spotify or whatever you listen to music on is, We Are the Champions, my friend. Remember that song? Pittsburgh Pirates played it and you got sick of it when they were winning all those World Series We'll keep fighting till the end. He's winning his battles. And all Satan really does, catch this, is he comes up kind of behind David and he kind of whispers and he says, you're pretty powerful, aren't you, David? You're pretty amazing, aren't you, David? David, you conquered so many kingdoms and now you have all these people under your command. David, all you need to do is total them up. And see how strong and just how powerful you are. We can't guess what your 
domination and your strength is, David. We need to know. David, take a census. Find out what the numbers are. Actually, count up those that you rule in your kingdom. David, because of your mighty, strong, and worthy, worthy of honor, just how worthy are you, David? We need to find out. Count the people. See how incredible you are, David. Now, you may look at this thing and think, was taking a census really wrong? Was taking a count really wrong? The answer is no. It wasn't wrong to take a census. What was wrong? What was wrong with what David did? It was his motive. It was why he did it. He did it for fame. He did it for glory. Because motives matter to God. Taking a census isn't a bad thing. So understand what I want us to understand this morning about this part is what we do and why we do it and how we do it and if we do it with the right heart and the right attitude makes a difference to God. It kind of goes along with what Mary said earlier about complaining. You know, it's our choice, folks, whether we complain or not. It's our choice whether we're going to be happy or not. It's our choice if we're going to do what God wants or for what Satan wants. You see, Moses actually took a census one time, and it wasn't wrong. It was entirely different. In fact, when you look at it, what Moses would do is he would take every man over the age of 20, and he gave them a half a shekel. And this is known as atonement money or a ransom money, what they did. And what he was doing and what he was saying pretty much is this represents and honors God. So he brought all these men in who was over 20, gave them a half a shekel, and he says, I want to count up and tally the total amount of those that God has rescued, who God redeemed from bondage. And this represents giving glory to God, Moses said, because we're seeing how many people God actually set free. You see, Moses, the census goal was to give honor to God. But for Moses, the goal was to bring honor to himself. See the difference? See the difference? And understand, what David did was disgusting to God. It just wasn't that God didn't like it. It wasn't just God saying, well, okay, David, doggone it anyway. You know, it's okay, buddy. We'll get it next time. No. It was disgusting to God. Satan loves to attack you when you're full of pride. You see, my only goal in the job that I do is hopefully point people to Christ. All the other things that I do is just icing on the cake. You see, that's what I want to do. But when I am weak, when I'm vulnerable, even when I'm full of sin, suddenly I want the glory just like David did. And I think sometimes we're that way in our life. Let me tell you how big my church is. Let me tell you what I counted this morning. And I want you to know, when I start doing that in my life, when I get together with other ministers like I will this Tuesday, and I start saying, yeah, we had uh, you know, this many people. You know, yeah, yeah, it's all good. God hates that. He really does. Now, he's not against growth. He's not against churches growing. He's not against those things. But when we start bragging on it, I don't think God likes it. In fact, I think it's, he thinks it's disgusting. This was David's issue, too. Others could see it in David. Understand that. Other people could see it in David. This is what's so challenging about this. And some of you right now sitting here saying, 
I'm glad my husband's sitting here to listen to this. I'm glad my wife is hearing this. I'm glad Mark is sitting in the back so he can hear this, or Dwayne's sitting over here because Dwayne really needs to hear this. And you're sitting there saying, preach it, Kurt, preach it. Hit him right between the eyes with it. Can I tell you something? (laughs) It's for all of us. It's for each and every one of us. Don't look around and say, well, so-and-so's not here. Man, they really needed to hear this. So let me tell you this. Let me just warn you. We're about halfway through the sermon. If I haven't offended you yet, hang with me. I'll get to you here in just a second, okay? Just, Just telling you. So understand this. This whole thing of pride, it's in your outline. It's difficult to see in the mirror. It's easy to see in other people, but it's so difficult to see in ourselves. Isn't that true? Oh, we can see it in other people. Holy cow. We're good at that. There's Joab in this story, very loyal to David. Joab's a commander of the troops, and he saw it very clearly in David. In 1 Chronicles 21, 6 and 7, he says this, Joab didn't include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering, in this count that David wanted, so he could prop himself up. Why? Because the king's command was repulsive to him. Joab saw it. He says, I'm going to honor these people and keep them out of this count. Understand, the command was so also evil in the sight of God. God didn't care about this count. So God punishes Israel. And if you read through it, this is where we get to the 70,000 people ended up dying as a direct result of David's sin, the sin of pride. 70,000 people. So let me ask you this. In David's life, which was worse, the sin of adultery or the sin of pride? Folks, adultery is pretty bad. Don't, don't get me wrong. Pretty hard to beat, but pride probably caused it. It was probably the root. I mean, David's saying, I'm the king of Israel. I mean, think about it. He's the king of Israel. He's popular. He could walk anywhere. And all of a sudden, he sees this girl in the next building over. She's on her roof, bathing, sunbathing, whatever. And he says, hmm, I see that girl. She looks good. I want some of that. I deserve it. I'm a king. And when David committed this sin, here's what he said to Nathan. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. That's his confession to Nathan. I've sinned against the Lord. But when he committed the sin of pride, listen to what he says. He has an adjective to it. He said, he didn't say, I sinned against the Lord. He says, I have sinned greatly by doing this the daily sin of pride it was about him i have done this if you're taking notes here what I, here's what i hope you'll see and understand you may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride i may never be more vulnerable some of you it's happening right now because we don't know we're full of pride. We don't see it in ourselves. I'll see it in somebody else. Man, I'll point it out pretty quick. Uzziah was a great man also in the Old Testament. He did some pretty cool stuff. He had some innovations with war and a war idea. And because of that, he rises to fame and Uzziah rises to power. 
But guess what took him out? This is what Scripture says in verse 16 of 2 Chronicles 26. It says, but after Uzziah became powerful, had authority, whatever, what happened? His pride led to his downfall. You know, just because you make it to the top a lot of times doesn't mean you're going to fall off of what's going on. That's why I hate for people to put me or the elders or the deacons on this pedestal. What does it mean when you're put on a pedestal? It's not great. You just have a farther to fall when you do fall. And we do it all the time. You see, pride can take us out of leadership. Pride can take away your credibility. Pride can hurt your marriage. Pride can hurt your innocence with God. Pride can hurt your friendships. Pride can make you lose credibility in sharing your witness. Pride took him down. Pride takes us down. Do we see that? Do you see how pride in our life, being proud of our accomplishments? Now, again, it's not all wrong to take, be proud of who we are. But it's how we go about that makes a difference. Proverbs 16 and 18 says this, pride precedes destruction. An arrogant spirit appears before the fall. Let me ask you, how do we see it in lives around us today? I mean, how does it manifest itself in people around us? Unfortunately, this is where we see it in our churches. This is where we see it in ourselves a lot of times. And you know what I'm, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. We see people walking around all the time, and they kind of have this air about them. It's kind of like, I'm so holy. Look at me. I go to church. I read my Bible. You know, all is good. God loves me. Okay? Those people make me sick. They really do. And how that comes out a lot of times is we look at somebody else and we see their life and we say, I would never do that. You remember when you didn't have kids and you saw other people with kids? What do you always say? My kids will never do that. How'd that turn out for you? You know, it's the same way. We'll say, can you believe he or she carries themselves that way? Can you believe he or she walks around acting so high and so holy? I mean, I would never do that, be that. I know God's word. I'm in church every weekend, and I would never do that. In fact, we hear people say all the time, we need to pray for them, or we need to pray for somebody. And they do it, and I, I'm not going to complain about people praying, but they're relaying your prayer, and they're going to say, I don't want to gossip. And they'll, they'll think about it, but you need to hear all the gory details. So they say they don't want to gossip, and we're going to pray about this, and we've turned prayer requests into gossip sessions, and then the gossip session gets different every time the gossip is shared. And folks, understand, when we do that, we're not glorifying God. We hear people say, I'm a self-made person. I mean, I've learned everything I've got. I have. I like what I've gotten, and it's because I've worked hard. I've earned it. I deserve it. Folks, understand, pride is disgusting to God. And we may never be more vulnerable than when we're full of pride. 
I think you get the idea, but let me ask you this question. How does God feel toward the proud? I mean, the people we were just talking about. I know we're not talking about anybody here, okay? I know it's about those other churches, those other people, right? It's not, nobody here is worrying about this. But how does God feel about those who are proud? Let me show you James 4. That brother of Jesus tells us this. He says, God opposes the proud. Okay? He opposes the proud. Now, when we think of the word oppose, it's not, it doesn't sound real strong, does it? Okay, he just opposes us. He's going to stand in our way. He's going to slow us down a little bit. It's actually a Greek word translated as opposes. It's a military term, and it means this, to bring the full force of an army. In other words, if you stand and say, I deserve the glory that God deserves, God has every bit of right and power posed against you because God opposes the proud. But catch this. He also says, but he shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. Then he says, submit yourself. The Greek word for submit is translated as another military term. It means to voluntarily rank under. It means to choose submission to the one that ranks higher. It is God saying, God, I fully submit to you. And this is what he says. Look at it again. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves. In other words, rank under, voluntarily submit to God. Then catch what he says. Don't miss this. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. What have we been talking about the last three weeks? Man, the old devil's knocking on our doors. The old devil, one thing he wants to do is get into our life. But until we do these things, we can't resist what the devil's telling us. We're not going to resist his lies. We're not going to resist his whispers. Go ahead, do it. Nobody cares. You see, when we submit to God, get this. You have the power of God. You have the presence of God. You have the strength of God. You have those things. After you submit to God, then and only then can we resist the devil. You see, it's when we submit that we can truly say, devil, get away from me. Satan, you have no place in my life right here, right now. You have no power here. Not today, not tomorrow, not next week, not in my house, not in the people I love. You resist the devil and then he will flee from you. Not because I am strong, not because I have power, not because I think I am all holy, but because God is in my life and I have submitted to him and I understand that God is stronger than the evil one. You see, when you submit to God, you have strength and you can resist because of the power of God. Then he says this. He says, come near to God, and God will come near to you. Why do you think God opposes the proud? Why would he bring the full force as like an army of everything he has to oppose those who are proud? It's very likely because of all the way back, even for the creation of the world, this guy we're talking about the last two or three weeks, Lucifer, the one God loved, battled with the root sin of pride that ended up taking him down. Remember what the scripture says that even before he created the heavens and the earth, he had these angels, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And it says Lucifer was this beautiful angel worshiping God. He was like a worship leader for all the angels. Just imagine what that was like. But he became full of pride. 
He didn't want to be like God. Understand, he wanted to be God. That's why God cast him down. So what was Lucifer, Satan's big weakness? He kept saying, my will. I will, my will. In Isaiah 14, there's five different times he declared his sovereignty and his will. Satan does. Listen to what Satan says, just real quickly. He said, I will ascend to the heavens. Satan says, I will raise my throne above the stars. Satan says, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. Satan says, I will ascend to the top of the clouds. He says, I will make myself like the Most High. What was he? He was proudful. He was all about himself. Jesus was all about the glory of God. Lucifer was about his will, not about thy will. So many times we see this pride thing, and I want to close it up here. And like I said, we see it in others so easily. But we also see it in ourselves, and we don't recognize it. And we see people doing stuff. Maybe it's for God. Maybe it's for the church and for whatever. And they're doing it, and they're doing their best. And we don't appreciate it. Okay? You know, people mow around here. And maybe they don't mow the straightest lines. It drives me nuts. Okay, I'll just be honest with you. I am so OCD, I want straight lines. And I don't want the straight, same straight lines every week. If you go this way this week, you need to go this way this week. The third week, you need to go at an angle. That's the way God meant for it. That's the way God wants it. Just saying. Okay. <laughs> Let me mow, right? That's what drives me That's at cemetery. There's one way it's a cemetery, you know. But it's like, Mark comes and mow. I'm going to pick on you for some reason, Mark. Mark comes mow, and he's mowed this way. And Mark comes back the next week, and he mows the same way. What do I do? Mark, come on, buddy. Mow a different direction for crying out loud. Can't you do it right? Come on, man. If I was going to do it, that's the way I would do it. And if I was Mark, I'd say, here's the keys. Have at it there, big boy. That's pride on my part. When I should simply be saying, Mark, Thank you for serving. Thank you for doing what God has called you to do. But we often do that. God sees our heart. God sees our dedication. God sees our motives. It's not for us to judge other people. Remember, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's knowing what's ahead. He's going to the cross. He's about to give his life. He's about to suffer more brutally than words could describe. He's in agony, and he's in such agony that there's drops of blood coming from his forehead. And he cries out to his father in heaven. And actually translated as daddy. Dad, if there's any other way, may this cup of suffering be removed from me. Remember that? God, if there's, Dad, if there's any other way, if I don't have to die, if I don't have to go on the cross, if I don't have to be brutally punished. And God, Dad, I don't think says anything. I think he kind of gives Jesus this idea. Jesus, you know the plan. You know what has to happen. And then in submission to God, in other words, Jesus voluntarily ranked under his father. He says this, not my will, Dad, but your will. Not my will, Dad, but your will. It's not about me. Jesus finally, in, he understood it. He got it. 
I'm here to glorify you. It's not about my importance, Dad. It's about your kingdom. It's not about my popularity, Dad. It's about your sovereignty. It's not about my wishes, Dad. It's about your will. It's not my will, but your will be done. The last thing in your outline is this. Please understand this. Humility is not weakness. Being humble is not weak. When you are humble, you have strength of God. You are never, ever weaker than when we're full of pride. And you're never, ever stronger than when you are humble before God. Humble before our Heavenly Father. Because when you submit to God, you're filled with His presence. You have the power to resist the evil one. And you can say, get behind me, Satan. It is in the power of Christ dwelling within me. We are in this spiritual battle, folks. It's there. It's real. And it's up to us to do what God has asked us to do. And right here, right now, I'm going to ask as we go into this invitation time that we truly take a hard look at our lives and truly look at our hearts. I mean, truly look at what God is trying to ask us and tell us this morning. Because I truly believe, and I'm one of them, that I truly need to not only seek God's will, I need to acknowledge God's will, and I need to come under his submission, maybe a little bit more. And what I'm trying to do, what I need to do, what God wants to do in me and through me. And I'm going to tell you right here, right now, after doing this for 35 years now, it's hard for me to say that I don't think I'm getting it right completely. I don't think I'm doing something right. That I need God to do something different in me. Whatever that is, I don't know. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're, you're kind of saying, okay, I'm not really understanding this. And, you know, I'm glad my husband and my wife's hearing this because this is not for me. If that's you this morning, I guarantee you God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to tell you it's his will. It's his way. God has given us the things to do battle. Ephesians 6. He has protected us. He has given us the sword of truth. He's given us all that we need, but the, the question is, are we willing to do what God asks us to do? I guess my question is, are we going to continue listening to Satan whisper in the background, don't worry about it, no big deal. You've got all the time in the world. I mean, you've got till your last breath to acknowledge God's will for your life. Don't worry about it. You can do it next Sunday. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it later today if you want to. Don't worry about what God's trying to tell you. I'm telling you right now, it's right here right now. Because God is asking us and telling us, what are you going to do? Your will or my will?